You're tuned in to episode 33 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who've decided to record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. In light of our explosive popularity at Wizard World, erupt on the scene with your own Comics Pals branded Trojans. Keep us near when oh, the cream no. rises to the top. <laughs> God damn it. That, that might be the worst one. <laughs> I actually like that. <laughs> I'm really, okay, here's the thing. I'm really torn because it promotes safe sex. Now you're thinking. But it's also really gross. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Let's move beyond that. Uh, so before we before we get into the meat of things, I do want to do some plugs. As Phil did mention, uh, we are booming on social media, which is really cool. Uh, so we're all experiencing Wizard World fatigue. We spent a lot of time in Philly uh, last weekend, and it was a blast. But after all that hard work, we're pretty tired. Uh, that being said, though, we did take a lot of pictures. We did post a lot on social media. Thanks, Pete. And we did record a lot of interviews that are rolling out as we speak. Uh, so right now, if you go on our YouTube page, you can check out our interview with Dirk Manning. You can also check out our interview with Rob Liefeld and Jordan Gibson. All of that stuff is available. Uh, I haven't left my home in days. <laughs> Lucky. Uh, so you can find that on the Comics Pals YouTube page while you are at it. You can like that uh, those videos. You can leave comments on them if you like what you see. And you can subscribe to our channel, which would, we would really appreciate. We are also on iTunes, where we are a five-star rated podcast. I'm very pleased with that, as usual. And we are also on all other podcast hosting platforms. You can find us there. And we are everywhere your social media is sold, at The Comics Pals. So check us out. Check out all of our Wizard World content and everything else that's rolled out since. So, uh, with that out of the way, welcome to the show, guys. Boys, our long national nightmare is over. <laughs> Just last month, Riverdale uh, made its uh, season finale, and we have an announcement of season two. Uh, straight from Archie Comics, season two premieres Wednesday, October 11th at 8 p.m. Oh, thank God. At 8 p.m. on the CW. We're not pulling Ooh. this plane up, are we? <laughs> <laughs> so when's when's the review with murphy coming out then? so uh my uh, my hope is to uh i i just finished the whole series uh on netflix the first the first season's on netflix um it gets wild you don't say buck wild guys buck wild. Buck ass wild um <laughs> it um i'm hoping to record it monday night and then we will probably have it released as like a refresher for season two. Uh, I mean, if it's Wednesday, October 11th, probably Monday, October 9th or something. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll try and have it ready for you by, uh, by season the, two. Save the date. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah. Two, two. Good. We, only, we only have a couple months to get this, this review of Riverdale season one. Two though. titans of industry coming together. To talk about <laughs> hashtag Riverdale. I can't condone any of this. What are you, dude? You don't have the right to condone or not condone anything. You have no shirt on right now. <laughs> you gotta give the fans what they want. No one can see you but us. I guess you. I guess that makes you guys the fans. We're not your fans. <laughs> <laughs> I. I know what I said, Sean. 
Uh, I wanna I wanna kick us off with a buy or sell. So we've did it. We've done this once in the past. Basically, it's a very short game in which I'll give you guys two options, and you buy on one, sell on the other. Um, so for this particular one, we're gonna have a little fun, and I'm gonna ask you guys what would you like to see in a Wonder Woman sequel more. So. Would you rather that the movie be take that the movie take place in World War II or that it take place in modern contemporary America? So you buy on World War II and sell on uh, modern day America or vice versa. Buy World War II. I think we talked about that a lot no. last time. Contemporary America. No. <laughs> Marco has strong feelings on this. Uh, yeah, Marco, what's your what's your reasoning there? Uh, she fits better in World War Two, like World War. I mean, uh, in World War Two, like modern times. I don't think she's gonna be as relevant. Um, I think that if, uh, she'll be more so in like on, on a battlefield and then literally fighting. For justice versus uh, posing I- ideological challenges. Okay, Phil, do you have a feeling on this? I don't have I don't have a strong feeling. Maybe uh, because like in my mind, I think both like you no, know, everyone's gonna roll their eyes at the same time. But legitimately, both would have the potential to be good. Um. I guess my my thinking is maybe World War Two because it's literally been a hundred years since World War One, um, and at least we'd have a little more of a bridge if it took place during like World War Two or the Cold War or something. At any in any intermediate period of time between World War One and now would at least uh, you know connect the bridge a little bit. But uh, I don't I don't think setting is of the utmost importance. But if I had to choose, I'm buying on the war, baby. Buy my war bonds. Okay, <laughs> Kale. Uh, no, I'm gonna stick with uh, contemporary America. Um, I don't. Uh, uh, with and we discussed this in our review. I don't buy that Ares, you know, died or whatever, so all war stopped. You know, I I, I just don't think that that whole plot would work. I'm not super interested to see how that would work out. I would rather just see her in, you know, now that we've gotten that origin story, I would rather see her kicking ass in now times. I think that's reasonable. Uh, so you, you're going to buy on, on contemporary America. Yeah. All right. Pete? Um. So I, I think I'm kind of inclined to agree with Phil in that I don't, I don't know that I feel super strongly um, that it should be one or the other. Uh, just because I I do think I think either can work. I think Godot uh, is um, a great Wonder Woman, and I think like the strength of her as a character, and hopefully Patty Jenkins as a director, which we're going to talk about later, um, are a combination that I have faith in, regardless of the setting. Um, but it, it, for the nature of the game, I would probably buy on World War Two solely for the fact that. I don't think that the other DC Extended Universe films are very good. And I think if you put Wonder Woman in the modern era, 
um, the temptation to have her crossover with those movies is going to be pretty high. And I think there'll probably be some studio expectation to do that. Um, that there will be some level of needing to connect with the other movies that are going on in the franchise into larger events. And I think what was so great about the World War One setting for Wonder Woman was that it was impossible for it to be con connected to any of those things in a way that actually affected the story anyway. Sure, the framing device is the modern day and, and a letter with Batman, but uh, I, I would love the idea of a movie that not even just focused on World War II, but just focused on the period between World War I and the modern day. So it could be a little bit of World War II, a little bit of Vietnam, a little bit of Korea, a little bit of her days as a spy during the Cold War, like, and just kind of showing Diana's progression to the Wonder Woman that we see in the modern day. Um, I think that would be a, a really, that's what I would want to see. Okay. How about you, Sean? Uh, well, I'm going to buy on uh, modern day contemporary America. I thought and so. And sell on World War II because uh, I think, I mean, look, we got the war story, right? And we've established her feelings on war. We've established Ares, probably, uh, well, one of her greatest villains. And so we know he's out there. Um I think it. I think we 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 would be treading familiar ground if we went with World War II. We've already kind of seen that. I don't know that we need that again. And also, there's so many characters that exist in her in her world that I don't want to lose out on because they're human and she's not. And you know, we 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 had that happen with Steve Trevor. He's gone. Uh, Etta Candy's gone. All these characters are gone. Or at least presumably, right? Unless they figure out some way to bring them into the future, which would be weird. But uh, presumably they're gone. And I just don't want them to continue to exhaust her characters before we even get to contemporary times. So I... I think that's I think that's fair. Yeah, I agree with I, that. Yeah. Completely. I, I think we just get to get to the now. Have, you know, still, still let the movie be its own thing. I mean, this is out of the bounds of the question, I guess. But let the movie be its own thing. Don't have Batman floating around. We don't need any of that. But let her... Let's let's have her, you know... Let's see what she, how she reacts to the world today, I guess. Sure. Yeah, and I think, I think there's an interesting story there. I think my main trepidation is, like you said, I don't really want the DCEU kind of looming over Wonder Woman. Um, because I think we've seen that uh, at times be a detriment to the Marvel movies... And considering Wonder Woman is the only one of these properties that I think is uh, more or less agreed upon to be successful, I would hate to see it bogged down by the other stuff they have going on. Hey, Wonder Woman, do you need any um, help? I'm not wearing hockey pads. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, uh, I, I want to keep the fun train rolling, but I do have some really, really unfortunate news to report here. Uh, this is just just breaking while we're doing the show. Uh, Adam West has died. Uh, it's shocking, um, according to the Hollywood Reporter. Um, Adam West died Friday night in L.A. in the wake of a short battle with leukemia, and that's being confirmed by someone from the family. Um, he died peacefully, surrounded by his family, and is survived by his wife, six children, five grandchildren, and two great grandchildren. And that's that's kind of all we know right now, and that's that's a report from CBR.com. Um, I mean, the first the first live action Batman, or you know, I'm pretty sure he was second. He was second. Yeah, he was. there were Batman serials in the 40s. Oh, yeah, okay, right. okay. Um, 
But he's kind of the one who yeah. brought that character to the forefront in a live action setting. And um, wow, what a what a loss, honestly. Yeah, man. I mean, this is like honestly a pretty. It's I'm like he was very old, you know. So it's like this was kind of inevitable. I'm very very happy that he was able to pass peacefully with his family around him. But this is it's that's hard to hear, you know. Um, I'm definitely a big fan of the of the '60s show. I watched it all the time when I was a kid. So, um, yeah, my heart goes out to his his family and his friends. He was the best detective of all time. With very little evidence, he could deduct that it was the Riddler every time. <laughs> it was incredible. Man, he saved all those nuns and that those baby ducks from a bomb. He could not put the bomb near people who are innocent. Man, sometimes you just can't get rid of a bomb. That's what Adam West He taught me to always carry bat shark repellent. You never know <laughs> when you're going to need it. That's right. Yeah, but in all seriousness, yeah, I mean, he was he was a uh, by seemingly a really great guy, you know? That seems to be the general opinion of him. And uh I it's, he seemed to really have a good relationship with the character and uh and the fans as well. Do you guys remember the episode of Batman animated series where he played the Grey Ghost? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That was so good. I was just going to say, it kind of dealt with his struggle of being typecasted as Batman, like the 70s and 80s, especially as an actor. And that episode was very pulpy. Ah, it's one of the best episodes of the show, I think. I, uh, I, I always really appreciated his willingness to kind of poke fun at himself. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, I definitely um, outgrew the show pretty quickly, but uh, I always thought it was really funny that he was happy to play like a crazy senile version of himself on Family Guy. Stuff like that, or um, well, and then the crazy senile version of himself on the Fairly Odd Parents. I was just about to say that you know, he played like Catman. I think was the character, right? Yeah, uh, so I, he was very self-aware. I think of his place in in pop culture, um, but not in a way that seemed like um, I don't bitter, you know, Good, clean fun. And I I always admired that. Well, he's adored by his fans. And obviously his family, and uh, he 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 was one of those guys who went to these shows, would sign autographs, always happy to see his fans, and you know we didn't forget him, and he didn't forget us, and uh, like you said, Pete, he was able to die peacefully, and in most cases, with your with his family, especially that's as much as anyone can ask for, you know, when you go out. My dad and I actually met him in 2006 in Wizard World, Philadelphia. Ironically enough, and he was very, very sweet to us. Yeah, I'm, he'll be he'll be sorely missed. Rest in peace, Adam West. So uh, now we're going to move on. Uh, I do want to mention that this is the third part, the finale of our Wonder Woman uh, special series that we've been doing. Uh, so we're gonna, you know, we're gonna talk more about that a little later on. We're gonna we read some comics in preparation for this episode, and so we're gonna dive deep into the Wonder Woman character and and really get into all that stuff because I, I I'll, I'll speak for myself. I still have Wonder Woman fever. Uh, I'm right there. I with still want to know what that is. She's the back. She. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me off air. Oh no. Um, <laughs> But it's fine. It's not that big a deal. You get a cream for yeah. it. Oh no! But I do want to highlight some uh, some comics that released this week. Some the pals picks of the week, as I like to call it. 
Uh, so this is the stuff that released this week that we think is is quality and worth your time. Uh, so the first thing I want to highlight is Batman number 24. This is a particularly special issue, and it's getting a lot of press. Uh, it's very hard to avoid the spoilers for this one. Do you guys know what happens in this issue? Do you care? At, at, as you said, uh, it's very hard to avoid the spoilers. <laughs> and uh, given that we do the show, you know, four days after it's released, it's been spoiled. So, Cool. So in this issue, uh, Batman actually proposes to Catwoman. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, I, I read the issue. It's well done. Uh, it's a good issue. Uh, it's, it's centered around Batman addressing his unhappiness with Gotham Girl as now she's kind of back into the fold and she's asking him, well, what should I do with my life? And he's telling her, I don't know, you know, do whatever makes you happy. He's like, I can't really relate to your question because what I do, I have to do. I can't stop doing it. And I'm not happy doing it. I don't know. I'm a 40-year-old man who runs around in a bat costume. Why are you asking me for life advice? <laughs> That's actually kind of what he says, to be honest. Um, and I guess that, that that makes him realize that he needs to find some semblance of happiness in his life. And that's what leads to the proposal. We don't get an answer here. We don't know whether she says yes or no. I'm sure that'll come in the next issue. Um, what do you guys think about this really quick? Um, it's like hard to speak to it since I haven't read the actual issue itself. But like as a concept, um, I'm into it because this is part of why I like Tom King's take on Batman from what I've read of it is that it it feels like it's really moving away from the kind of grim, dark, gritty Batman that we've been getting ever since 1985 for the most part. And uh, I like the idea of a Batman who can crack a joke and like wants more out of life than you know, to be Batman, you know, that there is a, a person underneath there. Um, that's more compelling to me as, as a, just as a character. So, um, the idea that, you know, Batman is trying to live a better life or, or find some, some joy in his life, I think is interesting. You know, that's, that's like, that's a story I'm interested in reading. And I've always thought that him and Catwoman, um, had interesting chemistry, whether or not it's always, explored in a way that I think supports it. I think, I feel like a lot of the times it feels more like we're told that they have a relationship more so than it really feels like there's one there. So I'd be interested to see that dynamic explored a little bit more if they do end up going through with this. Um, but I, I think Tom King's the writer to do it if anyone's going to. So I'm, I'm willing to give it a shot when I catch up. You know, I'm, I'm definitely interested. It certainly motivated me to try to catch up to the book and read it concurrently. Yeah. Uh, anyone else? I I only I like things to stagnate and not change. I'm afraid of change. <laughs> so I just want bring back Talia. I just want status quo all the time. Sounds sounds like a sounds like a Phil thing to say. <laughs> you know, like a liar. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I'm fine with it. I mean, this is like you know whatever. There there are always twists and turns. In your comics, will it last? No. Uh, will she say yes? It's possible. I kind of doubt it. I don't really see this being a thing that could work. Um, but Bruce taking that, putting himself on the line like that is interesting. And uh, it does say something about his character. And I'm open to the idea of him not being this 
dark brooding figure all of the time. So we'll see where it goes. Did you just see that Kellyanne Conway commented on it? What's what? It, what? Really? What did she say? She, uh, she said she. I guess she saw it on Twitter. I saw this from uh, Tom King. Um, oh boy! She said, um, she said, uh, "Oh, finally," or something. And Tom King was like, uh, "He was like, well, if I'd known my stuff got to the White House." I would have used it better. So, okay, here it is. So she said, uh, at last, hope for all. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Th- thanks, Kellyanne. I'm so confused by that. Is Kellyanne Conway like a legitimate Tom King Batman reader? And she was like clamoring for this? No, she saw I think she saw it on the Daily Beast and commented on that. I Some, I don't know, some shitty news. Finally. Batman is settling down. He's going to raise an atomic family. He's nuclear family. Yeah. He's going he's to raise. <laughs> I feel like an atomic family is more comic booky though. A- atomic family sounds like the title of a comic yeah. book about a nuclear family. <laughs> Let me uh, let's get through the rest of these pals picks. Uh, so we've got Dark Knight 3, the master race number nine. This is a book that has been coming out for so long that I don't even remember the last issue of it that I read, but this is the last issue, and apparently it's good. Uh, Divided States of Hysteria, number one, by Howard Chaikin. This is a book that is getting a lot of press, uh, not for the best of reasons. We're going to talk about that a little later, but it is out. Uh, That's by Image. Uh, Reborn, number six, also by Image. Uh, This is the finale of this miniseries, which has been awesome. Uh, Very, very, very enjoyable. Uh, So check that out. Walking Dead, number 168, is out this week. Um, Pete, what's going on in The Walking Dead? Do you know? Uh, I'm a couple issues behind. I know that um, this is – they're kind of knee-deep in what it seems to be the next big establishing story arc because they had a kind of false conclusion to the War of the Whisperers storyline that they had been working on for a bit there. Um, It's kind of hard to go into that without spoilers. But, uh, yeah, so – I. I um I I need to catch up. I I think I'm like two or three issues behind maybe. Um but uh it you know, it's kind of the natural ebb and flow of The Walking Dead of we we just had the semi conclusion of this major arc and we've kind of got the our sights on who the next big antagonist is shaping up to be and all that kind of stuff. So, it's a building period for the book right now, but I mean, who knows what this issue's like. So, could be good. I could be talking on my ass. So, yeah, could be good. Uh Cool. Uh, so then from Marvel, we've got Darth Vader number one, uh, the Darth Vader series uh, that was going on for a little while, just ended a few months ago, and uh, now they're launching a new Darth Vader series. I'm not sure that we needed one so fast, but we have it, and uh, I'm excited. So there's that. It's written by Charles Soule, and he's great. Uh, Iceman number one. Uh, this is a book that People have really been anticipating uh, Iceman. The, this is a, a book starring the young Iceman and uh, him and his uh, modern day adult version are both gay. Uh, so that's been, an, uh, I guess, an interesting turn. And so, um, you know, worth your time. And then this one I included specifically for Kale Riverdale number three released this week. <laughs> Kale's favorite comic. How. How dare you include something like that without talking to me about it first? Because I know you'd like it. How dare you? I don't read that garbage. Yeah, you do. No, I don't. I haven't read it. 
You oh. you know I'm so you, you know yeah. well I don't. Uh, you got me there. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a trade rate a trade a trade waiter, so I don't uh, I haven't read those yet. Fine, Kale. See if I do anything for you ever again. Oh, I wish that you wouldn't. Whoa. So it works out. You got it. You got it, buddy. All right, let's do some news, shall we? Uh, we got a Black Panther trailer. This is something that I've been waiting for. I think a lot of people have been waiting for. Uh, coming out of Civil War, Black Panther was a lot of people's favorite character. And now we finally got a trailer for his movie. So what do you guys think about the trailer? Could be good. Yeah. Oh, my God. The trailer could oh, be good? It's, out. it's already good, you idiot. You big, dumb idiot. Uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, that is a sweet trailer. Um, everybody, everybody was talking about like all the promotional art and stuff, uh, before this trailer came out, uh, it was looking to be like the best looking of all of the Marvel movies so far. And this trailer really backs that up. Um, every single one of the characters has, uh, a really unique look, uh, about them that looks distinctly, um, unique. Uh, and I know I've said that word like 30 times, but like it's wholly true. Like this looks like something completely different, and I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah, uh, I I really liked it. I mean, again, I've been waiting for this for a while. I love the the Black Panther comic by Ta-Nehisi Coates right now. Uh, I, I, and I'm just excited to get into that world. Uh, like Kale said, Wakanda looks phenomenal. I love that it kind of starts with the question of what is Wakanda and how it establishes that it's kind of a hidden, a hidden city, if you will. I thought that that was really cool. It adds some mystique and some lore to it. That's uh, interesting. I love that we're 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 still getting Claw. He's still involved. Um, you know, that's a, a, a holdover from Age of Ultron, so that's a storyline that's been going on for a while now, and they're kind of wrapping that up, and I wonder if he'll turn into the claw we know from the comics, or if that's just a thing they're not going to do. This trailer did not tell us much at all about the movie, which I'm very, very glad about. They, they, they really sort of kept the main storyline under wraps. We did not even see the main villain uh so i'm I'm really glad about that we didn't see man ape unless i missed him um the only yeah the only thing that sort of bothered me and it maybe it shouldn't but it kind of did is i don't really like the the music was great but i don't really like the fact that they chose to include rap music for this trailer because it it's like all right so he's black so the so the music has to be rap that's kind of the implication for me. I would have loved it if they gave it some regal, uh, sort of epic score, something like that. But I get that they want these trailers to just be fun. I just wish that it didn't have to be that because he's black, the music has to be rap. I, I heard that and had the like a, a same thought. Like it's had like a like an undertone of like a trap beat kind of thing, like in the background. Yeah, yeah, totally. I heard that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I very much had the same takeaway and like. I, I wasn't going to say anything about it because I didn't know if I was reaching, but the fact that, like, you guys both had that initial reaction, too, um, it just, it seemed like low-hanging fruit, you know? Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, of course, the black the first black superhero movie, we're going to put hip-hop over the Well, trailer, I think the implication you know? is that trap music actually comes from Wakanda. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and, and and by the way, you know, it's run the jewels, like that's good stuff and everything Absolutely. like that. I just I just hope Yeah, like it works yeah. for the trailer. It just uh. you know, and they did the same thing with Luke Cage. So, you know, I, I just don't I don't like what that says. And it worked for Luke. That was perfect. Especially because it was in Brooklyn. Yeah. Like, that was like, yeah, but this guy's from a, a secret magic country in Africa. Like, he is not listening to hip-hop, you know? Like, maybe, but... but I, Maybe he is, but... Like, even so, I, I just, I feel like it didn't need, they didn't need to go down that road. They could have, you know, yeah. I don't know. And they could have done literally anything else. Yeah. But that is a that is a small complaint on my part for what I believe to be uh, a, a truly amazing trailer, and it looks like Black Panther is going to be a great movie. I I honestly think this is one of the better trailers we've gotten for a Marvel movie. Period. Um, it it shows a very unique visual style. We get a look at Wakanda and like what their like technology looks like and you know like a, a little glimpse into this like secret culture, you know. Um, I think the voiceover lines that they chose to use like really set the stage for the film really well. Um, but like you said, it didn't give away like anything. Like li- I have no fucking idea what this is about other than the fact that this is Wakanda's like coming out party for the world is probably what's gonna happen here. You know, like this is where Black Panther's gonna become a you know known quantity to the world and like we kind of knew that was going to happen anyway so like it's great i mean we see scenes that appear to be in america or at least not in wakanda so we know he's going to leave and for for some reason or another but like that's perfect you know we got teases of what might be happening not hey here's blatant spoilers hey here's a cut from the last fight of the movie you know like they've done that with spider-man already two times over um, where it's like, I feel like I've seen, like, half the fucking movie already. Well, wait till the Doomsday trailer. <laughs> uh, well, Pete, you mentioned that you don't know what the movie's about. And uh, Marvel decided to help us with that by providing a synopsis for the film. Uh, so here it is. Marvel Studios' Black Panther follows T'Challa, who, after the death of his father, the King of Wakanda, returns home to the isolated, technologically advanced African nation to succeed the throne and take his rightful place as king. But when a powerful old enemy reappears, T'Challa's medal as king and Black Panther is tested when he is drawn into a formidable conflict that puts the fate of Wakanda and the entire world at risk. Faced with treachery and danger, the young king must rally his allies and release the full power of Black Panther to defeat his foes and secure the safety of his people and their way of life. Sounds about right. Yep. And that's good. That's great. That's the story we need. Um, I'm excited for this. You know, Black yeah. Panther's a really cool character. Uh, it's it's about time, frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would have liked to have seen him in the original lineup. Marco, what were your thoughts on the trailer? I enjoyed it. it um, I mean... Again, it's a trailer, so it's like, you know, there's not much to really dissect with it. Uh, some of the shots were cool, like the slow-mo things. It looks like a different kind of style from what the regular MCU is going, like, is going for usually. There was a little bit more, um, like I saw like a, like an, more of like an orangey tint. Like it had a little bit more of a warmer color than some of the usual stuff, like any of the Ant-Man, the Avengers, the Captain America stuff. It's always like a bluer, cold gray kind of thing but this looked like a warmer color so i think that fits the setting that it was around uh i don't know if that's going to speak to the whole movie maybe it was just like some of the scenes but uh it's definitely we did kind of see that with guardians a little bit so. yeah and, and guardians was like uh 
like it just looks like a big color palette, you know. Um, but this looks to be, uh, at least visually for me, looks like it's moving a bit away from the house MCU style, which I, I appreciate because it's kind of a bland style that they have. Yeah, I, and I think that that's something we can expect going forward, actually, because yeah. Uh, Doctor Strange really sort of threw all of that out the window with some of the stuff that they did as far as colors and, and visuals. Thor 3 looks like it's going to follow a similar pattern. As Pete said, Guardians 2 was off the wall. So I, I really think that they've kind of, they're, they're ready to, to move on and open up. And I, I really just think that the phase one and phase two of, of the MCU was just establishing those characters and, and a look that they felt like would translate for people and now that that has worked and they've hooked us all they're ready to just go crazy you know yeah i feel like it made sense for the phase one films to be tonally consistent because you're trying to sell that all these disparate things exist in the same universe and that was a foreign concept before and it's not anymore yep totally agree uh so moving along but staying within the mcu uh james gunn has talked about what he plans to do post-Guardians 3. Uh, and uh, it's a lot of what we already knew, but uh, this is what he did have to say. We talk about it all the time. It's already a part of what I'm doing with Marvel and the conversations that Kevin Feige and I have every day. When we're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and that story, that's a story that will lead to other stories. It's innate to the DNA that that's the end of a trilogy, but it's the beginning of a whole other element of the Marvel Cosmic Universe. That's a part of what I'm doing now. So, very much we get the impression that he's, you know, he, he's talked about wanting to direct other films and stay in the cosmic realm. Um, but we know also that he's going to serve as like an architect for that world. Um, so, how do you guys, do you want to see... Do you want to see James Gunn spearhead the cosmic side of Marvel? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Marco? That was easy. Um, yeah. I mean, I dug it. All right. We're all in. Yeah. Um, I, think that, I think that James Gunn understands the cosmic side of things pretty well. And I would love to see them establish Marvel Cosmic as almost a separate thing that only coincides with the rest of the Marvel Universe when something really big happens. So Yeah, I totally agree. Like how That's it, how it was in the 70s and shit. Right. You know? So like how Infinity War is sort of the mashup of all these characters. I would love to only get that, you know, every, I, I don't know, every, however many years. 12, 12 years? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, however it shakes out. But I would like to see Cosmic be its own sort of entity for a while. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely in that, that same camp. And I think the thing, I said this about when James Gunn said he wanted to come back for Guardians 3, is like, as long as he is passionate about this, I want him to do it. Yeah, and I think I think it's a real good way for him to sort of make his own mark in, you know, even more so in the Marvel, uh, the MCU canon, in, in that he will get to craft the, the cosmic MCU you know, nobody else is getting to do that, and he's getting to do his own thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like they're a little less precious about Guardians because, you know, like, Guardians itself was kind of, like, it was 
obviously like the property had its fans or whatever, but it wasn't what it is now until the movie happened. And James Gunn's take on those characters and the style of the movie has become kind of a definitive take on them. And that's what they look like in the books now. So I, I definitely think like them giving him the creative freedom to do what he wants with these lesser known properties has been mutually beneficial. Yeah. And I think it could remain that way. You know, we we know we're getting Adam Warlock in Guardians Three, and you know maybe he'll maybe he'll grace Nova. That would be awesome if we do get Nova. man. You know, it's my my like most dream of dreams is he obviously likes Howard the Duck. Huh. I want to see James Gunn make a fucking Howard the Duck movie. I want I want him to prove that that can work because it can, and it would be so funny. Like it's honestly, it's honestly a shame they didn't make a movie uh, about. It was only like a two or three issue storyline in Howard the Duck where he runs for president. That would have been so good during election Pete, year. We already have one great Howard the Duck movie. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, uh, do you have opinions this episode, or are you just a memer? <laughs> I was just about to say that he's done nothing but deliver one liners this whole episode. All right. Well, apparently James Gunn isn't very crazy about the Nova character. Oh really? Because there's been there's been a lot of demand uh, since the first Guardians for Dick Ryder to be in there because in the in the good books his relationship with um, with uh, Quill is really fucking awesome. But apparently James Gunn isn't super crazy about the character. That's unfortunate. I'd I'd love to see him tackle like uh, like the Annihilation storyline. Yes, and yeah. then and then maybe you know. Um, uh, hit hit like Silver Surfer and uh, I mean even like the Super Scroll. Yeah, but can't, can't do, do that. Silver Surfer and Scroll, I didn't though. ask. <laughs> uh, uh, what I heard is he apparently like because um, the Living Planet Ego was part of the negotiations that like he was a Fox owned property and they like traded for him. Yeah, that's apparently true. he was lobbying for Annihilus. Yeah, I like I I think you're right. I, there's no way Fox will let go of uh, the Silver Surfer. I honestly don't think I don't think Fox will make another Fantastic Four movie. I think Marvel gets the rights back within the next three years. I hope so. I really hope that they just fucking let it die. Cause like, come on, these movies cannot like still be profitable for them. Like I don't remember how the last one did financially. But, Not like, well, I don't think. It, it couldn't have. It was so, like it was so unanimously like a flop. I don't know anyone that went to see that movie in theaters. So speaking of profits, let's talk a little bit about Wizard World's profits. Uh, we God, obviously these <laughs> so fucking clean. <laughs> we obviously spent uh, our last weekend in Philadelphia for Wizard World, and it was a good time. Uh, but unfortunately. Wizard World as a, as a company, as an organization, isn't doing too well. Uh, their profit margin dropped from 41% to 9%. Oh, uh, which wow. Is, which is pretty bad. Um, That's a dip. According to Newsarama, Wizard World Incorporated reported a net loss of over $1 million for the first quarter of 2017, with their remaining working capital down to $3 million, $3,500,000. This comes after acquire after acquiring outside financing from Bristol Investment Fund, an outside company controlled by Wizard World's board chairman Paul Kessler. Uh, so, not looking too great for Wizard World. They blame some of the um, some of the financial issues uh, on 
increased investment in the programming and convention center build-out, which sounds vague, and I don't really get what that means. Okay, I think I what I would think that means is for programming, it's that they've been getting celebrities to come, thinking that's going to get more people to go to the con, and it probably costs a lot to get those people to come to Philadelphia or wherever, you know? Well, yeah, like last year they had uh, Haley Atwell, and this year they had... Um um, Last year they had the entire cast of the fucking Avengers. Well, right. Almost. Uh, oh, well, yeah. To, to say like Chris Hemsworth and then Pearl Mackey, like it, Chris Evans. It can't be. Well, you're not letting me finish my point. It can't be. <laughs> it can't be cheap to get those people. You know, those people flying all the way around the world to, you know, certain cities to charge for autographs and and photos. You know. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, and and. You know, I don't want to. I'm not trying to denigrate the people that were there this year, but I I do think that there's you know there was a, a big difference in the quality of the or the status of the celebrity guests that they had last year uh, in comparison to the ones that they did have this year, and I think that that, that speaks to what you're saying, Kale. Um, so but there is there is maybe a, a potential bright side uh, as the new management team uh, has cut operating expenses. Um, they've, they've been doing some belt tightening and decreasing the number of employees as well as a reduction in officer compensation, service fees, travel, and web development. So they're tightening the belt a little bit, trying to conserve some money and figure out some new ways to make some cash doing this Wizard World convention thing. I personally hope that, uh, we don't lose Wizard World anytime soon because obviously that's kind of where the pals were birthed and that's something that we really love going to. We love covering those events, so hopefully they stick around. Yeah, I, I wonder if maybe they just need to start doing less of them, you know, because there's a lot of Wizard World events. It's a, it's a countrywide tour, yeah. Yeah, and like that can't be cheap, you know, especially if you're trying to get celebrities in every city, you know, like... And a lot of them are kind of in the middle of nowhere, and like that's good. You want to tap into those those markets, but like, are there enough people to sustain every single one of these Wizard World events? You know, like Philadelphia does well. Um, it, you know, like it was uh, there was a lot of people there. I, I'm sure they made at least a, a modest profit from that event. But that being said, it's like I, I don't know. Like, there's like what ten of them or something. Like, it's it's a lot. Do they bring the major celebrities to the smaller cities too? I think they have different celebrities at every show. I think so. Yeah, yeah, I, think, that, I yeah. think so. So, and, you know, like maybe there's a couple people that like actually go on the tour or whatever, as it were. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. It, it just seems – that seems unsustainable to me for how middle tier the event seems to be, you know? Like we love uh, Wizard World, but it's definitely not on the same level as, like, Reed Pop stuff. You know, like, like we we were able to buy tickets the day of, you know, kind of thing, if we wanted to. Um, if we hadn't been going as press. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe narrowing down their focus and only doing, like, two or three shows, maybe that would be a benefit to them. Yeah, man. Uh, it's hard to say. Uh, obviously. Yeah, we're obviously not business people. Yeah. Like, I, I, but I, I, I agree that you know the read pop stuff is obviously much bigger, and I wonder why that is. I really don't know, and I would love to, I would love to see Wizard World up their game. Yeah, it needs to become more of an event. You know, like Comic Con is a thing that non comic book fans are aware of and want to go to, and I don't necessarily think Wizard World needs to try to be that, but it should be a thing that. When I say I'm going to Wizard World, I don't have to say it's Comic Con. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. That's a good point. 
Um, let's let's move on to something that may be uncomfortable. Uh, we're going to talk about the divided states of hysteria by Howard Chaikin. Uh, so I'll yeah, fr- you mentioned this before. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I'll uh, I'll frame it, and then obviously you guys let me know your thoughts. So. Divided States of Hysteria is a book by Howard Chaikin that is essentially a uh, sort of dark future, dystopian future kind of story. Um, he says himself uh, in, in a previous statement that it may very well, this is the quote, may very well get me arrested in the good old USA. Uh, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot in this book that you know, is graphic and, and sort of violent, but the scene that most people are angry about, uh, and granted, this is the first week of Pride Month, I just want to make that clear. Uh, it, it is, so there's a scene in the book that features a graphic attack on a transsexual um, sex worker. Uh, and um, a lot of people are, are very upset about it. And, I mean, you can see it if you want to. If You guys that are doing this show right now, if you click on the link. Um, we'll have a link down in the description below if you listeners want to check it out for yourself, too. But 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 really don't do so if you would be offended in, in any way by this kind of thing. Um, well, offended or triggered, not like, uh, you know, uh, not to... Yeah, right. Like, this to, is like, this is very graphic imagery. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, your word of choice. But if you, you know, if this would bother you, don't look at it. Uh, so, you know, Howard Chaikin is a guy who's known for, you know, marching at the beat to his own drum. He does what he wants to do and he doesn't really care about what, how people respond to to controversy surrounding his titles. This is not anything new. Um, but we live in a different time. He's very much a product of the eighties in terms of the kind of content that, that he puts out. He doesn't care about being PC, uh, and, uh, again, a lot of people are very angry about this. So if you guys do check out the image, let me know what you think and let's, let's have this conversation. So it's, it's two pages. And that's all it is. Uh, I'll describe, you know, what's happening. Essentially, there's a, a woman engaged in sexual activity with a few people, a few men. They start to attack her. And she pulls out a gun and shoots them. That's that's what happens in the book. And so what I want to know from you guys as you check this out, what I want to know is because a lot of the commentary has been uh, trans people are often sh- uh, shown this way. Uh, I do want to quote Magdalene Visagio, who is a trans comics creator. Uh, she has written an Eisner Eisner-nominated book called Kim and Kim. And so she says, uh, and I'm I'm quoting her now, can we just... This is from Twitter, right? This is, just, this is from Twitter. Can we just fucking not? How hard is it to... How hard is it to lay off putting trans women at the center of hate crimes in fiction? Nobody deserves to have their primary mode of media portrayal as hate crime victims. I get it. You're edgy. You're not afraid to show it like it is. Well, fuck your cis white man privilege piece of shit ass. What do you guys think? Um, it this is a this is a tough one for me, man. I think there's a lot to unpack here. Um, I I'm not in the business of censoring art 
or saying what is okay to write about or not write about. But in the same breath, I also totally understand the argument that's coming from the trans community where there is so little uh, representation for them at all. And the vast majority of media representation of trans people is either uh, as the butt of a joke or, um, you know, or something like this. And I, I get it. Um, yeah, I would also I would also like to point out uh, in that same uh, Twitter uh, link that you sent us, Sean. Um, it, it, it there's a comment that says uh, uh, that the, the the this trans woman character is a convicted rapist. Uh, so I think I think it's also it's also obviously problematic that you know this this person is portrayed as uh a sexual deviant i guess yeah or like a degenerate yeah um so that's i mean that's obviously an issue um yeah uh i i really don't know how to respond to this because on one hand i get the i get that you know this would bother people obviously obviously if you are if you're in a minority group and every time that you are seen in it or portrayed in the media it's in a negative light negative connotation that's frustrating marco and i you know we understand that because for me in the 90s every time i turn on the television and i i mean i'm like a kid right i'm in single digits Every time I turn on the television and see a black character, pretty much, you know, 90% of the time, they're a criminal, right? They're right. in jail or, in you know, they're in prison for having committed a crime or they're doing crime. Uh, so I get that. At the same time, though, as someone who did go through that, uh, that did not affect me. And uh, I took it as... A story, you know, and just that, and my life wasn't altered in any way by those portrayals, uh, especially because there were also portrayals of other characters who were police that were black. Um, so I guess that helped provide a balance. Yeah, I'm right. not trans, so maybe there's something specific about that existence that. Uh, is just different and I can't relate to even though I am a minority. But for me personally, uh, creators of any ilk have the right to create and do what they want to do. And I don't think that on that level, there's a problem with that, especially since in this comic book, he is presenting a world that is screwed, right? It's, it's bad. It's, it's, there's a lot of negative shit in this environment. And also the fact that in in the in that same scene, the character is able to defend herself and kill them, which to me, I don't want to I don't want to I guess say the wrong thing, but I take that as empowering. So the fact that she was able to defend herself and not just a victim, I guess. But that's all I really want to say or feel comfortable saying about this. Um, I have one thing to respond to that, and I I guess I I I don't think that the analogy that you're making um, between uh, I guess you'd call this a gender issue, um, and race is, uh, I don't think that that's unapt, but I, I think 
in specific regards to trans people, I am always um, inclined to uh, treat those issues a little more sensitively because I think I feel like they are like a hyper marginalized group. There are sh- there are so few openly trans people overall. I don't think that there's as um, strong of a community there in terms of like sure online it's easy to connect with other trans people but like if you're a trans person uh especially if you live in like a small town you are maybe the only person like you that you've ever known you know and you've never been able to connect with other people and have your identity reaffirmed by people within that group um so like if the only if the only time that you are exposed to people that are like you is through the media and it's all these negative portrayals of like you know like in sitcoms where they make the kind of like low-hanging fruit joke of like oh god forbid i go on a date with a woman and she's a dude you know or like from something as simple as that to as graphic as this um i I, I get where they're coming from because I don't think we have... I can't think of one example of a trans character in media that's portrayed in a heroic light, excluding one side character in the most recent Dragon Age game. You know, the, Pete, I, I think you're nailing it right in the head. Like, I'm thinking about this, and the comments that Sean gave in the beginning about what Chaken was saying, saying something to the effect of, like, I might go to jail over this. It's like, I feel like he's deliberately being provocative in a way that's like, come on, fucking come at me. I dare you. And it's just like, you're being a fucking prick. Like, well, the- and- go on. Sorry, I, uh, I do, I, I've been kind of reading his, his, his big essay that I assume went in like the back of the issue or whatever. And there's a point out, there, there's a section I want to point out, uh, that talks about, uh, in in the essay itself, he he talks about um, basically uh, how the election um, affected his his view on things, and and so he says that. Uh, so I'll just start quoting what what he 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 said here, and 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 we can and work it out. We can continue the discussion, but. He says, so instead of, quote, trigger warnings, quote, quote, quote cultural appropriation, quote, safe, space, safe spaces, and, quote, social justice warriors, maybe we on the left should have put aside all this balkanizing nonsense and been, and been fucking Americans for fuck's sake instead of allowing this nihilistic shithead to mainstream and legitimize the racist sexist bigoted and flat-out moronic sensibilities that have always been there but were held in check by a common understanding that one doesn't get away with that shit in the united states of america so in context of this he's he's talking about the election of donald trump and all the garbage that's come be you know arguably because of the election um but what what this paragraph says to me specifically is you know in it, it it's a it's a a deep misunderstanding especially of the terms trigger warnings cultural uh, cultural appropriation and safe spaces uh obviously social justice warriors is 
been used as a, a derogatory term for anybody who that's a loaded yeah that's such yeah. a loaded term at this point but it it reeks to me of you know tim allen's uh show on last man standing that was like oh you young people can't can't handle being uh offended and you gotta have a protest vote anytime somebody disagrees with your point of view well that's not what trigger warnings are trigger warnings are when you're in a, a science class and you you know you all it is is giving someone a, a warning so that they can be prepared to like mentally prepared to discuss whatever it is that's coming up or to remove themselves from something like if there is like you know i feel like that that term is most often used in conjunction with like sexual assault yeah and like there's nothing wrong with trying to not make someone or like ptsd right like that's a thing right like i uh, you know my best friend's brother is a um a veteran and like he has a, a ve- he has very clear triggers of like he won't go see movies that have realistic warfare in them because he gets yeah. war flashbacks. Yeah, and like that's a trigger warning, you know. Like that's not a, a thing that you have to. It you're you're making it a loaded term. You're trying to demonize something to make a point or to belittle people that you don't agree with. Yeah, and it really like this whole essay really just comes across as. Well, they're doing all this shit to, you know, the the liberals and the, the left wing, blah, blah, blah. Let's just hit them back. This guy sounds like some kind of Bill Maher bullshit where he's like, I'm a lefty, but I'm a hard hitting lefty. These soft, yeah. doughy liberal types, they can't keep up with me. I need to come at them for some reason. It just feels tone deaf. Well, and, and, and Howard Chaikin is a, you know, he's a he's an abrasive sort of. Uh, you know, a character who is just, you know, he's, he's old and he's set in his ways and he, you know, wants, wants to make a point, but the way he's going to make it is by hitting you over the head with it. So I want to get Margo's perspective and then I want to move on. I mean, I kind of agree with you guys. Uh, just like overall, uh, I agree with Pete. Like this is art, shouldn't be censored, and the reactions around it from either side are totally valid, you know. Um, and I personally can't say much more to it, or rather, I won't, just because I'm not as well versed in any of like in this kind of discourse. So, uh, I mean, just generally, like, I I, I get it. But then, but then I also like I get it. If that makes any sense, it does. Yeah, I, because I, I, yeah, I totally agree with you. You know, I mean, I know you disagreed with me, so obviously, but <laughs> I, uh, I think that makes complete sense. You know, I, I don't think that I think you're within your right to um, be offended by this art, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be allowed to exist either, just because it's bad or his message is wrong or whatever. You know, like. That's the beauty of the marketplace of ideas, right? Yeah. Let's leave it there. So, uh, let's talk about Justice League, the movie that I am most anticipating this year. Sean, I thought we were going to stop. <laughs> this, this plane really isn't being righted, is it? Listen, guys. Wonder this is Woman... your most anticipated movie of the year? No, come on. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say Spider-Man is coming out in like three weeks. Come on. <laughs> uh, no, um... Justice League is 
going undergoing significant reshoots. Uh, so they're the the cast of the film is in London right now. They're filming reshoots. Um, they're expected to run through June and July, possibly into August. And so they've kind of been described as not your standard pickups. For those of you who are unfamiliar, pickups are just it's just a period of time in a movie's shooting schedule that is reserved for reshoots. It's very standard. Most movies do this. So, you know, even if they don't necessarily use the time, uh, it is always slated out. And it's not a big deal if a film has to undergo reshoots for whatever reason these things happen. Uh, and so we did get a picture of, uh, this is from Instagram, of Henry Cavill on set, presumably in his uh, trailer, in costume. So we do know that, that this is happening. And uh, Joss Whedon is helming these reshoots. Because obviously Zack Snyder can't be there. Um, so they're, they're looking to make the movie as good as possible. They're using the time that they do have for these reshoots to, uh, you know, make it better. Uh, and, um, you know, I think that's good. I think I think that's a very positive thing. Uh, the report uh, claims that they're doing this to make the best film possible. So I'm happy with that. Sweet. Good. I, I hope it works out. I really get good. a feeling that uh, this is something larger, to be honest with you. I I get the feeling Joss Whedon is gonna take Zack Snyder's role in the DCEU. Like I think I think that's I think this is systemic of a larger thing that's about to happen. Mm, I don't I don't know. I, I I just I don't like I don't see why. Well, you're talking about making a Batgirl movie. They're doing a lot of reshoots on the Justice League movie when it originally seemed like he was just finishing shooting. Um, yeah, that narrative has kind of quickly changed. I, I get the feeling that this is something that's going to be bigger than originally expected. Well, I do want to make it very clear. This is part of finishing shooting. Sure. Because, like I said, pickups are a natural part of every film schedule. So this isn't anything out of the norm. And when... Joss Whedon was announced to take over the job. This was always going to be a part of it. I guess the only thing that made me, maybe this is just the way that the journalist t chose to title this article, but you said that it was going through significant reshoots. And the way that the original press release made it sound was that Joss is just like, it's already almost there. He's just kind of coming in and putting on the finishing touches. Exactly. Whereas now it seems as though this is more substantial. Yeah. Well, th three months of reshoots is not typical. Uh, so. Right. Yeah. So. It's not like a cause for concern. It's just like it kind of. It seems like this is a little more involved than we originally thought. I don't know. I I, I mean, ass, assuming it it's gonna be like of a quality like some of the other like Batman vs Superman. Um, I don't think Josh can polish a turd. You know. Totally. Oh, damn. Um, well, and, <laughs> I mean, you know, hey, you gotta call him like you see him. Uh, and yeah, I'm not saying that I think that this is like, oh, he, you know, he's going to save the movie now because he gets three months of reshoots, but um, maybe his hands will be a little more on it than we thought. I, I, I guess I'm just trying to say I, I think Phil's point might be salient. It might be something there. that maybe this this might be the sign of Joss taking up a, a more of a leadership role at DC. Bingo. Or maybe the movie doesn't need to be saved because it's actually good. Ever the optimist, Sean. Ever the optimist. You could say <laughs> it could be good. Uh, I mean, you could, but I, I wouldn't. <laughs> so, a little more news about Justice League. Uh, we now know that we will get more Wonder Woman characters, more of what we loved 
in the Wonder Woman solo film in this movie because Queen Hippolyta and Antiope will both appear in the movie. Uh, Connie Nielsen and Robin Wright have recently let slip that they will be appearing in the film. Uh, this is coming from Nielsen herself. And Wright and I got to do more in Justice League as well, as sisters as well, kind of badass as well. Uh, so that's really cool. Um, obviously, um, Robin Wright's character did die in in uh, Wonder Woman. Um, allegedly. Allegedly. So, <laughs> uh, so th- this is most probably going to be some some type of flashback interaction. Gonna uh, be and I'm Force Ghost. <laughs> Let's hope not. Uh, so yeah, so we're gonna get we're gonna get more of them, and that's something to be happy about. Um, Pete, you mentioned earlier the Batgirl film, and so now we know that uh, DC is looking to make Batgirl and Justice League Dark their next films after the releases of Justice League and Aquaman. Uh, that's coming from the Hollywood Reporter, and that's that's actually putting those movies ahead of some other films like Shazam, Cyborg, and Green Lantern. So. Joss Whedon is attached to Batgirl, which we're all pretty excited about, and I think that, especially with the success of Wonder Woman, upping that and making that, you know, one of their next tentpole films is a strong idea. Justice League Dark, I'm not as sold about because it doesn't have a director, and it's kind of been in development hell for a long time. But it has Swamp Thing. Well, no, that's not. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Didn't we just talk about Justice League Dark, like, Two weeks ago? Yeah, losing its director. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know about that one. I, I'm inclined to think that that movie is going to go the way of the solo Batman movie that's apparently still coming out in 2018. Um, it's not going to happen. But the Batgirl thing, yeah, that makes sense. You strike while the iron's hot, right? Like, Joss Whedon's involved at the DCU. People are hype about that. People are hype about him doing a Batgirl movie. Wonder Woman just came out and proved that the female superhero movie thing works. Which, like, did we really need to prove that? It's tw- it's whatever. But, yeah, like, why wouldn't you do this next? I actually think that that movie has the potential to be great. Despite the fact so too. that uh, it doesn't make any sense. Where was Batgirl for all the years that Batman has been Batman? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Um, I mean, I guess it depends on how old she is, right? Because, like, if... Because we met, we met Jim Gordon in BVS, right? Nope. No? He's in he's in uh, Justice League. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, oh, they cast him. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay. So, yeah, we know that we're going to meet Jim Gordon. So, like, I, I don't know. She's, like... 19 or 20 or something like that and she's super young and she's just striking out as Batgirl for the first time and you know Batman hasn't had a sidekick since Robin and you know all that 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 could work that could be that kind of narrative of like the you know you need a sidekick you're getting older I can handle myself Eh. we shall see I hope you're right that could be good I'm 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 feeling positive about this one I'm bullish about Batgirl I feel like it seems like uh the recipe is there for a successful movie I'm bullish about Joss Whedon so if his name is attached I'm there I have no I have no uh ill ill feelings towards this film because I feel like Joss Whedon is gonna take this thing and make it great no matter what is happening around it so I'm I'm excited for that um so I did say that this is our Wonder Woman episode, and we do have some Wonder Woman news to talk about before we go into 
uh, diving into the character analysis based on the comics. Uh, so this is this is interesting because there have been some weird reports. Uh, Patty Jenkins, obviously the director of Wonder Woman, hugely successful film, uh, only her second movie, by the way. Um, it's because they won't let women direct. Uh, initially, we heard that she was attached to do a, a sequel. Yeah, we reported on it last week. We sure did, but as it turns <laughs> out, that is a lie. Uh, because she's actually not attached. <clears throat> so, uh, DC typically likes to work on their sequels before the, the initial movie even comes out. Uh, that's, that's something Great that, strategy, by the way. That's, well, that's something that Wonder, or Wonder Woman, Warner Brothers likes to do. They actually um, signed off on a Hangover sequel before the movie even had even come out. They signed off on it. So, I guess that probably led everyone to believe that that um, that they had already ha- had their ducks in a row, but as it turns out, that's not the case. And uh, now there's some negotiating to do regarding Patty Jenkins signing on for this second film. Now, of course, Wonder Woman was such a success that Patty Jenkins has some leverage now as far as uh, her capacity to, you know, request more money, uh, more, you know, more control, more creative control over this over this film so um we're gonna have to see how that plays out but uh i there there are some reports and this is this is coming from the hollywood reporter uh they've been they've been getting all the scoops lately um there's a chance she might try to ink a more expansive deal that would allow her to work with dc entertainment president and chief creative officer jeff johns on a script treatment for that movie and possibly others as well that's cool i'm into that and I, I thought Patty Jenkins did a fantastic job as a director. Um, there are definitely some... And you can go listen to our review. We obviously had our problems with the movie, but I don't think... Most of my issues were not things that I deem her responsible for. So, fuck yeah. I mean, that sounds great. I hope she comes back. You know, I, I hope that they don't... I hope she doesn't um, try to get more money and then they'll decide to go with someone cheaper. You know? Um, but... They got money. They could. They can afford her. Well, uh, if she does come back, she already has ideas about what she would like to do with the sequel. Uh, she did an interview with Up Rocks recently, and uh, this is a quote. This is a question that she was asked. Well, it's not actually a question, but Wonder Woman doesn't end like Captain America: The First Avenger with her waking up in modern day. She has one hundred years left. Patty's response was exactly, and this is the follow-up question: In the next solo movie, would you want it to be set in modern day or somewhere in the next 100 years prior, like it could be set in the 1930s? And then her reaction is, "It is for sure. I'm definitely planning something more interesting using that period of time. Definitely, it's the plan. I can't say what it is, but it's definitely right in the pocket of what you're talking about." And then the follow-up. The follow-up is, there's so much to work with there. And she says, exactly, that thrills me. So, if her words now are anything in line with what we'll actually see, it sounds to me like we're going to get another period piece. I'm up for it. Same. Yeah. I'd be a happy camper. I know. Not me. Uh, Sean hates period pieces. I think, I think, so, I think there's value in the fact that she wants to make it that kind of a piece because I feel like maybe one, maybe she's comfortable in it and she can tell a story in that. And so I'd rather that than have her have to make it like either directly related to um, BBS or 
have it directly related to Justice League. I'd rather her as a director be willing to tell a story than have it sort of fit the overall DCU narrative. Hell yeah, Marco. So one, okay. So the narrative that we've kind of created on this show today is that it's this or that. And I don't think that that's true at all. I don't think that you either the movie is taking place in the past or it takes place in the present and has to correlate with what else is happening in the DCEU. I don't think that that's the way it has to work, especially considering that Patty Jenkins isn't signed on and now has some leverage. DC would want to keep her on board. And so... Presumably. Yeah. So I don't think that they're going to, or that she'll sign on if they're forcing her to put things in the movie that she doesn't think she can work with. That doesn't mean that there's no chance that if it were set in contemporary times that we would not see those characters. But it also doesn't mean that if we did, it would be bad, you know? So I think we need to be more open-minded about the the possibility of a contemporary set movie being good and not having to be bogged down. Guys, I love that this episode, Sean is the it-could-be-good guy. Yeah. It's incredible. Um, <laughs> All right, Phil, but there's a difference between saying, hey, it could be good with no b- follow-up and what I'm doing, which is presenting points that make sense. In your opinion. So I don't I, – yeah, I don't I don't disagree with you. I don't I don't think it's impossible for a modern-day Wonder Woman to, um, to not be a good film or anything like that uh, or that its connections to the DCEU have to be bad. But I think we've seen a lot – how those things can get in the way of telling a story that feels self-contained. And I think that was part of what was so good about Wonder Woman, was that it was just a Wonder Woman story. There's no temptation to have her interact with other characters. And you don't put yourself in that position where fans can ask the totally logical questions of, oh, Wonder Woman's you know, in the modern day and she's fighting a god in a world-ending scenario? Where the fuck's Batman? Where's Superman? Why aren't they showing up? And... That, that that's a question you don't have to answer in a period piece. It's a it's the same question you see in like Captain America: Civil War, not Civil War, um, Winter Soldier. You know that helicarrier is coming down on Washington D.C. Where the hell's Thor? Why didn't he pick it up? <laughs> sure would be helpful if Iron Man was here right now. <laughs> They're busy. That's some that's something that it's weird to me that you guys would even say that because as comic fans, that's something that we're used to. And sure, totally. every single film that has come out where that doesn't happen, the answer is they're busy and no one questions it. So that's kind of a weird point. I don't think it is at all. Yeah, I don't think that's like a legitimate point when the real answer is that they don't want to pay Robert Downey Jr. to be here. How busy is he that he can't save the world? <laughs> but it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, re- disregarding contracts, it's a movie. And in the movie universe, that's the answer. And it hasn't it hasn't hampered any of these movies that you have that question because at the end of the day, you understand that it is what it is. And again, in comics, this happens all, all the, the time. fucking time. Sure. And again, like I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just saying that I, I think one of the benefits, the many benefits of a, of a period piece for Wonder Woman is that you don't have those temptations. You don't even have the ability to create those like logical inconsistencies that the average moviegoer might point out. I'm not saying that that's like a problem for me that if I see Wonder Woman in a world ending scenario and Batman and Superman don't show up that I'm going to be bitching. But I think there's a contingency of people that are going to complain or are going to point that out and... Is it, if that's a problem for them, that's their issue. But 
I, I don't think that that makes the point I'm did, making invalid. Did Batman vs. Superman address where Wonder Woman was during Man of Steel? I know address where Batman was. This is a legitimate question. Uh, yes. She she had disregarded the world of men for a hundred years. So in in Batman versus Superman, she kind of resurfaces because of what's been happening with Superman because of his arrival and feeling like, okay, well, this is something new and different. I'm going to insert myself in this. She also wanted to get that picture back. So there was there were two threads kind of going concurrently as to why she does return. Yeah, but we don't actually get a direct answer of what she's been doing or where she's been, just that she has stopped acting as Wonder Woman. Yes. So is that is that what that means? Is that she's stopped acting as Wonder Woman equates to she's not whatever in the world of men? Yeah, I mean, she, I, I think the implication was that she's been living as Diana Prince, that she's been living as a civilian and not acting as a superhero because she's disillusioned with mankind that's so weird i know we talked about this last week but the ending of wonder woman is so incongruent with that yeah that's what i was saying phil yes exactly it doesn't it doesn't work uh and i don't think that it makes i don't like i don't think it really makes wonder woman a bad movie or really takes away from its quality but you know it, it definitely did bother me it's just clear that there's a piece of that puzzle missing so obviously now Gal Gadot has cemented herself as Wonder Woman, right? After this film, I think all the doubters have been silenced. Uh, the question was, could she carry a movie? Uh, is she a good Wonder Woman? Granted, most people felt like she was the best part of uh, Batman Superman. But even still, she was in it for such a limited point or period of time that it was hard to say whether or not a two-hour film with her as the star could work. And as it turns out, it did... But if Patty Jenkins had her way, Gal Gadot would not have been cast. Um, this was so shocking to me. Yeah. So this is a, an article from Newsarama. Uh, according to Wonder Woman director Patty Jenkins, when Gal Gadot was cast as a character in Batman vs. Superman, her heart sank as she wanted to direct the film and would have cast someone else. Um, I wouldn't have done the project if I had even the slightest problem with it. That's how important casting is. I remember when I read in the news that Wonder Woman had been cast and my heart sank. I had been talking to the studio for so long about it, and I was like, well, that's that. I'm sure we wouldn't have made the same choice. So, for a little bit of context, uh, she was being spoken to about doing this film for some time, and then uh, she jumped out, and DC chose Michelle McLaren, uh, who also left the project, and then they went back to Patty Jenkins after Batman Superman had already come out and obviously Gal Gadot had been cast. Um, but Jenkins did end up warming up to um, Gal Gadot. Uh, I started paying attention to her and watching her and looking at her and it was just unbelievable. Frankly, I think they did a better job than I could have because I don't know that I would have scoured the earth as hard to find her. I don't know that I would have looked internationally. I would have just looked for an American girl. I think that would have been a real mistake too. Yeah. Like I, 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 uh, I really think that having her be, uh, you know, obviously she's um, Israeli, but I mean, she easily passes for Mediterranean, you know. So I, I think having that look, like that's what Wonder Woman should look like, you know. She should have an accent and olive skin and dark hair and dark eyes and I, I don't know, man. I, I was so blown away by by Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, where it's like I. 
like, I liked her a lot in BBS, but I, I definitely understood a lot of those concerns of just, like, she was kind of an unproven property, you know? Um, but I, I don't know. I, there were so many moments in that movie where I was just, like, she's, like, a, she's a fucking movie star, you know? Like, she's got that quality, I think. She's got the it factor. Yeah, in, like, a sincere way, man. I was one of the people, uh, and I'm in no way ashamed to say this, that did not think that Gal Gadot was the right person to play Wonder Woman uh, when she was announced. I was not into that. Um, but during the film, during Batman Superman, uh, in particular when she does put on the costume, because I thought almost every single scene in which she was not in the costume was just unnecessary and um, poorly executed. Uh, but when she is in the costume, I thought she was the star of the movie. And um, that gave me the confidence that she should play Wonder Woman and that she was the person. Everything else aside, I think she's done a great job. And I'm very happy with the casting. And I'm happy that Patty Jenkins is happy with the casting. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they have good chemistry. I've seen them like do interviews together and stuff. It seems like they get along really well. So, um, yeah, like <laughs> I don't know. Thank God it worked out the way it did, right? <laughs> So now we're going to get into the part that we've all been waiting for, which is our the final piece of our Wonder Woman conversation. Uh, so we've, like I said, we've done a ton of reading for this, and hopefully that will lead to a good conversation, which we always have here on the Comics Pals. Uh, Wonder Woman is a character. Well, I mean, uh, Phil's here, so. <laughs> Cracking my knuckles. I'm ready to dive in. Uh, all right. Uh, you say that in the nude. Um, so we've, as I said, we've done a lot of reading and, and we want, I want to cover, I want to dive into who is Wonder Woman, you know, what makes her who she is, uh, who is her supporting cast, who are her allies and who are her enemies, um, and, and really how is she different from Batman and Superman? So those are some of the things that I do want to think about as we have this conversation. There will be other questions as well, but Let's let's kind of start off with her origin because there are a lot of different interpretations of her origin. And in pre- preparation for this episode, I read three different origins uh, that 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 kind of give you different ideas about how she came to be. Uh, so the typical origin, right, is that she was made of clay. You see that in the movie, and it is in the comics. That how, was the original star right. number eight. Yes. However, that well, no, 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 no. That was actually in Wonder Woman number one. All Star number eight didn't have the clay oh, uh, formation. Fair enough. Yeah, All Star number eight didn't show that necessarily. It just showed like her and like some going on like some kind of little little adventure, like saving the day kind of thing. That's about it. That that appears to have changed though, because in the in the uh, New Fifty Two run by Brian Azzarello and Cliff Chang. Nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, we we learned that that's. That's not true. At least for the New 52, it's not true. We learn that um, Hippolyta actually had a relationship with Zeus and that um, they kind of kept that secret because Hera would have killed Wonder Woman, or Diana, I should say, as a child if the secret was revealed. Uh, And then in Greg Rucka's run, his current run, the Rebirth run... uh, it's actually up in the air as to whether or not that's true or not, which makes that run pretty compelling. So with regards to her origin, why do you guys think it is that there's 
so much inconsistency and so many different writers have their own take and their own version on how she came to be. I think I think with especially the new 52, you know, given that it was just it was Jeff Johns and Dan Didio's, you know, angst fest. They did they did the <laughs> same thing with like The Flash and Green Lantern. They altered and Swamp Thing. Uh, well, maybe they <laughs> altered those. Okay, I believe you. <laughs> they altered those origins so that, like, it, it it seemed like they would have a little something to be, a little something extra to be angsty about, or would be fighting for. You know, Barry Barry Allen's mother died at the hands of Zoom. Um, uh, Hal never stops agonizing over his father's plane crash and in this you know wonder woman eh, she might be the child of a god mm. do you have a do you have a problem with her being the child of zeus i just it it doesn't it i can't i can't put my finger on it necessarily it's just something i've never liked I don't know. One of those things is not like the other. Two of these characters are dealing with like the trauma of a parent dying. And one of them was well before in the New 52. Like Green Lantern Rebirth from 2005 was how agonizing over his father dying. It was in the movie. And then. Written by Jeff Johns. I know, I know. I, I figured it was a larger beef with Jeff Johns, but one of them being the daughter of Zeus. Like. I mean. Is that really. Uh, is, it the, it's, is that angsty? It's, it's more about her you know, reacting to being lied to over, you know, her 20 to 30 years of life or whatever. Oh, I see. I think it, it, it works. Um, it works for me, at least. You know, I, that, that as a relative, <clears throat> that as a relative run, that was the first one run that I, I've ever read. So, for me, it, it, it worked really, really well because it made her like, um, she's not just like a clay creation or whatever it made her more of a person for me like it made her like oh you know like she has she's a person her her mother has flaws because she she tried to contain her and like protect her and um so i don't know for, for, for me just it, it, it worked sean for your original point about the origin why it's so different i think marco kind of just addressed it like i think people take umbrage with the whole clay thing yeah, I wanted to bring up a, a quote that I, I believe Phil referenced in our first Wonder Woman episode, but I think it's probably worth discussing again here, where he was talking about uh, Kevin Smith um, trying to introduce the Trinity to his daughter. And um, she was into Superman, she was into Batman, and uh, he, and I'm paraphrasing here, but more or less he said when he got to Wonder Woman and he was trying to explain her origin, that she was made of clay and she came from this island and she had these, you know, all that, all that stuff, that he saw his daughter's eyes gla glaze over and that she lost that sense of excitement that she had in, uh, in these superheroes. And I think we've discussed off mic um, a bit how I think both Superman and Batman have, um, even if you don't read comics, you know, even if you're just getting the elevator pitch for these characters, they have very relatable um, kind of status quos. You know, Batman is a man dealing with trauma and loss uh, and trying to, um, you know, do good. Uh, Superman is an everyman, you know, he's an all-American boy, all that kind of stuff. He's um, this, um, you know... 
icon of virtue and stuff like that. Those are all very, I think, easily identifiable things. Whereas Wonder Woman is a god, maybe. She's, you know, like, obviously, even in the clay, you know, she has these powers that are imbibed by the gods. So she's superhuman in a way that is kind of magic, but kind of tied up in this ancient mysticism. And it's, it's way harder to parse. And I think the idea of... She has a mother and a father, and like Marco said, her mother is a flawed human being who had a child with a god. It makes it easy to give her this like kind of Christ allegory, all that kind of stuff. I feel like it's more digestible for, for Western audiences, whether or not it's a better origin. Yeah, and w- uh, I saw the movie again yesterday with my girlfriend, and she when that whole thing about her being made out of clay, she just turned to me, she's like, she's, she's made out of clay, like I don't, like, I don't get it. And then when later she finds out that, oh, she might actually be, um, she's actually like the daughter of Zeus. And then, oh, that means she's related to like Ares. So she's like kind of fighting her brother in this nice sort of sense. I was like, yeah, for her, as someone who doesn't, who doesn't read comics, that was just more of a um, concrete origin story. More more digestible. Sure. And I mean, like there's... There's immediate oh, allegories. Everybody froze. Everybody. Oh. 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 Everybody froze. Oh, you guys back? <laughs> Great catchy tune yeah, right back. there. Uh, did, you, um, did you guys hear what I said? Yes. Yeah, no, we, we got, got the whole okay. thing there, you Marco. You didn't freeze for us. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, you just went, oh, and started singing. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, that should be our promo clip. <laughs> <laughs> Even, like, if the, the Christ allegory might be lost on, uh, you know, some younger people who are not looking for that subtext or whatever, like, you can also immediately compare it to Hercules then, who's another immediately recognizable uh, figure. And I think it's it's just a way more digestible and, I guess, relatable uh, origin. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Um, I kind of, I'm kind of with Kale where I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with that being her origin, but I'm kind of more of a fan of the original just because I think um, there are some feminist readings on it that I will not do justice trying to explain here but um, that I think makes it interesting of her being a kind of divine birth of a you know like a, a fatherless child you know and that she is solely raised by women and um, that there's like kind of the biblical allegory of that like you know, um, in the Bible, you know, Adam is made from the earth, but women are made from men and that she's not, she's not that, you know, she's made from the earth and that she is this, um, you know, wonder woman. She's different, you know, that she is this bridge between the masculine and the feminine and, you know, um, the ideal of, of, uh, the paradise Island of Themyscira and man's world, which is, you know, constantly in turmoil. I feel like there's a lot there that, um, it feels more in line with the character for me. I feel like the Zeus explanation feels a little easy. And maybe that's good. You know, maybe that's what she needs. But I think narratively it's a little more interesting, um, her original origin. I also kind of think, I feel like Grant Morrison, you know, the the Earth One book didn't really, it didn't do that, right? Like she was made from clay, blah, blah, blah. Um, no, the the... The no, she was Hercules. Story. Yeah, she was born she, of Hercules. Right. Yeah, the, the idea, balls. the idea is that she was born from the most like balls, savage Grant, of men. You, you balls me up, Chimo. 
Dang. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say was I think I, I feel like Grant uh, would say, you know, it takes the the comic booky out of the origin. You know, it, um, it, it, it I feel like it's he sort found of, a really good way to marry those two things. All right. Well, now I disagree. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, um, uh, I, I feel like he he would come like he would say it it it's the the revamping of that origin is it's sort of it making an apology for being you know a comic book that's an interesting way to look at it uh for me i feel like the zeus explanation makes a lot more narrative sense and i also think that it it allows her to more easily interact with and have relationships with the gods mm-hmm. that is harder to establish if she's not related to them and i think that brian azarello's run makes that very clear how how you can make that work in a way that's a lot there's more emotional weight when you do it that way than when she's not related to them and just made from clay yeah yeah it lets you like tell family stories in that yeah. environment and yeah I, I, I definitely think that there's a real benefit to the mo- modern origin, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, she 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 grows up on Themyscira, and there, there are a lot of great comics that deal with that. I think The Circle uh, was a really, really great one. We talked about that on um, the first episode we did about Wonder Woman, and I really loved how we got to see, you know, some of her origin, right? We do see the sequence of her birth and, or, well, you know. Her, her being made from clay or whatever and um and we do get we do get to see her relationship with her mom which i really like um but there's a lot of stories that do deal with this stuff so we'll we'll, we'll skip over that a little bit and get into her as an adult and her in the modern world and what we sort of think makes wonder woman tick and why she is so invested in being who she is in in our world, in quote unquote man's world, so I think, um, and again, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but I, I think uh, the circle does a really good job of establishing this in showing how she handles Grodd's uh, gorilla legion or whatever, you know. Um, but uh, I thought um, one of the the selected readings we had for this week was uh, Wonder Woman: Spirit of Truth, which was a a, a one off by um, Paul Dini and Alex Ross. And I, th- I thought that did an excellent job of kind of encapsulating what Wonder Woman's about um, and, and that dichotomy of her as a, uh, a fierce warrior but a beacon for peace and how those things are kind of inherently at odds, um, but she finds a way to, to make them work. You know, that she is someone who um, – will always, you know, this was a thing from the circle, um, but uh, Gail Simone wrote that, uh, you know, that she'll always take a fist and and be the first to outstretch a hand, you know? And I, I think that's a, I think that is the most core thing that I've taken away from exploring Wonder Woman as a character for this last month is that she is a, a warrior when she needs to be, but, um, but that she is always seeking peaceful resolution and that she believes um, she believes in the goodness of people and that people have the ability to grow and change and that, um, you know, uh, she's not afraid to kill. She's not afraid to fight. But those things should be seen as as last resorts. And and she's not afraid to change like 
herself because in that same story you know she was uh kind of just all right like this is how i should approach it i should go like up front i should be very um just like very very present there and then she yeah, like a god who comes down from the sky and fixes everything right and then clark says hey you know maybe don't do it that way maybe uh, walk up to them maybe experience it from their point their point of view and she does that she's willing to to explore that so you know she believes that like you said other people have the capacity to change but she herself is uh malleable in that sense though in that in that context if superman said hey you should consider this i think every single person on the planet would be like you know what i'll think about it i wouldn't oh fuck you i but i would i would also uh contrast that statement phil to wonder woman in uh the new frontier oh yeah uh when when superman when superman walks up to her in um like vietnam or something it's yeah, the yeah. village of like Vietnam um, uh, prisoners of war or whatever is a group of women that were I, I think we're led to believe that they were like, uh, um, you know, like sexual slaves of some kind captives at the very at the very least. Um, and Superman says, hey, you, you can't do this because the, the women had all decided to kill their captors or whatever. And Wonder Woman says, try and stop us like that oh that was so good yeah while superman is is the kind of character who will stand firm in his ideals no no matter the situation wonder woman will work the ideals for the situation yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i i totally agree with that and i think that's what has made her my favorite of the trinity over this last month of that i think she's way more dynamic um, but I also I also think like um, to take it to like kind of a sociological level, I think part of what makes her so interesting in that way is that that is kind of a um, that that dichotomy that you just set up right between Superman and Wonder Woman are kind of very traditional masculine and feminine qualities. You know that like um, you know. Uh, this is like a weird example, but I'm going to take on a walk real quick. I, like during the election cycle, right? I read this article by uh, a journalist named Ezra Klein um, who was writing about Hil- Hillary Clinton and how um, it's it's strange that there's this dichotomy that in Washington, people who worked with her respect her and like her, but that she was so wholly unlikable by the American public. And he made this point that um, – the election cycle, right, benefits a lot of traditionally masculine qualities of uh, projecting strength and projecting confidence and uh, unwavering ideals and and those kinds of things. Whereas a more traditionally feminine thing is is the idea of um, what we see in the Amazons, right, of like collaboration and um, and and learning and growing and changing, right, not being beholden to your ideals and being willing to be more malleable as marco put it you know you guys talk about change and one woman got rid of the costume and became a mod spy in 68 and didn't have her powers anymore had to learn kung fu and <laughs> this is true one one woman won yeah. 179 in 1968 she was taught by a mr chings this was in our reading <laughs> i'm yeah i mean yeah he was a great kung fu warrior i don't yeah yeah, I don't know. I don't. You're acting like this is news to us. Why would you? Why would you go to someone other than Mr. Ching? He's a well-renowned teacher. 
I, I do want to uh, continue the conversation because you guys did bring up uh, a comparison between her and Batman. Or, I'm sorry, her and Superman. And I, I wanted to bring up the comparison between her and Batman because we read the Hikatea and in that in that book, um, Batman is a huge presence because um, he's trying to capture someone who is a murderer, right? And Batman is just about his business. He wants to get this woman. He wants to bring her to justice. That's all he cares about. Whereas this woman has sworn an oath to Wonder Woman, and Wonder now Wonder Woman is essentially her ward. And there's a deeper story as to why she committed this murder that Wonder Woman isn't even aware of. She doesn't care, but Batman doesn't care either. But Batman's lack of caring is is because for him justice is all that matters for wonder woman though protecting this woman is what matters and i i thought that that was interesting because even though wonder woman doesn't condone murder she still is willing to waver on her ideals and and sort of tweak that to allow for this for this woman and to protect this woman she seems less rigid than either of them you know Batman has this strict moral code about justice. Superman has a strict moral code about, you know, life is precious and doing the right thing. I, I think Wonder Woman's more malleable. I think she, it's, it seems as though she judges things on a more case-by-case basis. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, I want to talk about her her supporting cast, her allies and her enemies. Um, she has a pretty solid cast of characters that, that sort of fill out her world. Um Maybe you could argue that her her enemies that they're not as well defined, but I've found through the reading that I actually really enjoy uh, her her rogues gallery. But let's focus on her allies for a little bit. We've got Steve Trevor, um, who you know we we saw the movie, we we know who he is. Um, Etta Candy, who's been very very much involved in 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 Wonder Woman's world for a long time. Probably worth mentioning that she's much different in the comics across various iterations than what we saw in the film. Yes, in the modern in the modern comics she is black. Uh and in prior interpretations she's not. Yeah. She's also been like she was a spy, like she was her roommate for a while. In the circle she was like a, a Nick Fury kind of spy figure. She's like that now. She's she's like that in the current iteration as well. She's also got Ferdinand, who is a character that I don't really understand. He's like a uh, a minotaur or something like that. Um, did any of you guys read anything that he was in? No. No. Okay. Well, he appears in, in both of Greg Rucka's runs. That's how I know him. But he's he's kind of like a, a walking, talking bull slash, not, I guess not really a minotaur, but a walking, talking bull. And he's a loyal ally of hers. In Greg Rucka's initial run, he's a chef. For, for Wonder Woman, uh, which is really cool. And then in the current run, he's he's got that still, but ev- everything is darker in that run. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, he's, he's, he's a trusted ally and a, phys- a physical force um, in her world. So what do you guys think about Wonder Woman's supporting cast? And, and what do you think that, that that group of characters sort of says about her? Well, before we, we jump into that... Um... Uh, we could also shout out her, her mother, uh, yeah, Hippolyta. Yeah, like yeah, she's she's definitely a big part uh, of her life and her upbringing and like her in in certain iterations, like her backstory, her origin. So, yeah, I mean, shit. I mean, there's a pretty significant period of publication history where her mother became Wonder Woman. In oh her yeah, stead. yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I think we would be remiss to not mention, at the very least, uh, Queen Hippolyta as well. Um, and then, not that we necessarily want to talk about her, but um, what's the name of her best friend slash sometimes love interest from Themyscira? Uh, the blonde. Was it Mala? Mala, Mala. yeah. Oh, Mala. Mala as well. She's fairly significant. Um, she's appeared in a few of the things that we read. What do you guys think about her supporting cast? Do you think that it is filled out? Do you think that it speaks to her character in the same way that, like, for example, Batman's does? Superman's to a lesser extent. Oh, I was going to say, so, like, Batman and Superman have a lot of extraneous media adaptations to help fill out the, the characters of the supporting cast. Both Batman and Superman have had, like, numerous shows and movies, whereas Wonder Woman has had one show and now one movie. So maybe it doesn't... Maybe it pales in comparison, but, like, there's just been less pop culture to develop that for a general audience. But as far as the actual continuity of the books go, I think our supporting cast is really good. It, it reflects like a golden age where it's like, okay, well, this character has a civilian life where there's a bunch of supporting characters who have lasted for 80 years, basically. And I think it works. I think it works really well for her. I think it's a good foil for her character. I, I agree with that. Um, Steve Trevor in the comics their relationship is a little weird because, uh, so he's a love interest of hers, obviously. Um, but in more recent years, she's been attracted to Superman. And that's the relationship. Her relationship with Batman and Superman is what we typically see in the media as those are her love interests, right? She's torn between them. And in, in, um, in, we, we, there are comics called Superman Wonder Woman in which they're in relation, they're in a relationship. That was a good one, in, too. Yeah, Kingdom Come, she ends up with Superman. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so so Steve Trevor injustice too. There's romantic tension between the two of them, right? Steve Trevor's kind of always left out of that conversation, and even in the modern comics, um, they don't have that relationship. It like it existed, but it doesn't now, and so it, it brings into question like what is her role? What is his role in her world if they're not in a relationship? How do they really? Wh- what are they? You know, um, I kind of, I kind of wish they wouldn't do that. What? Um, I, have that narrative of her? Should she be with Batman or Superman? Like, why does she have to be with Agreed. either of them? You know, like, you know, like I, I, uh, I don't have a problem with the fact that there was a romantic development between her and Superman. Uh, that because it led to a good story. You know, um, like, but I, I think, I think like on a overall kind of I, I guess like on a feminist note like is the way to put it it's like it, it I don't like the idea of the number one female superhero who is a member of this this trinity of like the three best superheroes in the world or whatever that like that they that it has to be that she's gonna oh which one is she gonna it end makes up her same boy like, crazy. Up, yeah exactly right and I don't I don't like that I think that's that seems um, like a disservice to the character. I really disliked the whole thing of Superman. I felt shoehorned from the like word go, and I didn't think the book was very good. It was at all like it, it just felt like Wonder Woman was acting like Superman's groupie, and uh, it just wasn't about it. Because, like you said, Pete, she should be on her own level. She's often portrayed as being in awe of him, and I get that because he is an awe-inspiring character, uh, an awe-inspiring figure, but. Even in in Injustice, which is like an alternate reality and everything like that, but 
they make it seem like she'll follow him into whatever, you know, like yeah, e- even she's if, willing to. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Even if he's clearly like out of bounds, even if he's clearly wrong, no matter what he does, she'll always follow him, and that that's kind of her destiny, which is strange because I I, <clears throat> I think Marco said it. She should be on her own level. She she is com- she's comparable t- to him, you know, like they're they're they're. They should be on the same level and and not necessarily her kind of looking up to him, I guess. Right, yeah. And, and like, it's fine if she's inspired by Superman. Superman's an inspiring figure. Um, but I, I think it's when it when it takes on a sexual component as well as when it becomes kind of problematic. I was saying, I don't think it has to be that way. I think if they want to develop a romance between the two of them, I, I don't think that has to be unnatural. I think they are both, um, you know, to borrow the term we've been throwing around now, I think they are kind of on a similar level where they are kind of inherently disconnected from the world in a way that's similar. And I under I th- I don't think it's unnatural for them to uh, develop a romantic relationship, but I don't necessarily think it's a good move for her as a character. In the spirit of uh, of of Murphy, I think that uh, Superman's a sub. <laughs> That's it. Uh, Marco, you're grounded. No <laughs> more, no, Where did you learn that word, Marco? No more long box for you. Murphy, you stay away from my boy. You hear me? <laughs> the invisible plane has absolutely crashed. Let's talk about her villains, because I actually really, really like Wonder Woman's rogues gallery. One of her villains that I really like is actually Hera. Hera is Zeus's wife, and in the comics, it's mm-hmm. established that Zeus has had all of these children, right? And not all of them are Hera's because he can't, you know, he can't keep it in his pants and he, you know, he he he's all over the place and he's had a lot of kids with a lot of women and that angers Hera and she has a very visceral you could say ungodly reaction to what Zeus does and that poses a problem uh particularly in Brian Azzarello's run because we learned that Wonder Woman is actually Zeus's daughter. And so that that puts those two directly at odds with each other. And it also involves Hippolyta because, obviously, uh, Hera's not happy that Hippolyta had a relationship with her with her husband. Um, so I, I really, really like the way that um, Brian set that up. And I really enjoy Hera as a foil, but a, a mm-hmm. very relatable character because we could understand how being cheated on would suck but she's empowered enough to actually do something about that and so i just i really like that character and and how she's utilized sean did uh i didn't know you started the azarella run how are you liking it this is off topic just yeah um i really i really enjoy it I, I read the first trade in preparation for this episode and i thought it was excellent uh again i really love the <clears throat> the use of the gods and 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 how they're weaved in because it gives it gives Wonder Woman naturally more allies and enemies to associate with, right? And you know these characters they have agendas of their own, and it's cool to see how these these gods these, who are supposed to be higher than us they kind of act you know they kind of act very silly. They bicker. Yeah, they bicker. They fight. Um, in Greg Rucka's run, Apollo was like 
this this schemer who's always trying to like position and it's actually in Brian's run as well is always trying to position himself and screw Zeus over mm-hmm. which I really like so there's a lot of fun stuff that does happen with those characters and of course Ares that's the Greek gods for you baby that's yeah. what they yeah. do <laughs> yeah uh, I'm also a fan of um, Veronica Kale and Leslie Anderson who are introduced in um, Greg Rucka's first run and then used again in his second run, those two, I really love. Actually, did any of you guys get to read any material that they're in? No. Okay. Um. Well, I guess I won't go into it too much. If you do care, you can read um the uh, Greg Rucker Rebirth run to really get a good idea of who they are. Um. So Veronica Kill was created by Greg Rucka to sort of to sort of be a Lex Luthor for Wonder Woman. Uh. And she very much is that in the first Greg Rucker run, her her reasoning is a little, it is very Lex Luthor. It's very, very Lex Luthor to where she's like, well, hey, I'm a woman. I come from nothing. I had to work really, really hard to get where I am. And Wonder Woman comes from who knows where. And she's she gets all this praise, all these accolades for being what? Strong, fast. You know, she hasn't earned it. And that that creates the conflict between them in that book. I feel like it's a lot better established in the Rebirth run. Because in the Rebirth run, um, I, I won't go into to spoilers really, but she has a much more emotionally driven reason to be opposed to Wonder Woman. That is driven by some gods who have their own reasons to hate on Wonder Woman and force Veronica Kale to do things that aren't so great. And, and that also involves Cheetah, who's another, probably the most well-known Wonder Woman villain. I think that's fair to say, right? Probably. I would say so, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you guys have anything to say about the Cheetah character? Um, like, it, it's hard for me because I'm such a new Wonder Woman fan, you know? Um, I, I, I've read the this very, I mean, I, we've, we've picked a good selection, so I feel like I have a fairly good handle on her as a character. And the fact that I've walked away from all these stories without having a strong impression about any of the villains uh, has kind of informed my opinion about her rogues gallery. So, like, when you ask, like, is Cheetah the most well-known Wonder Woman villain? Is that fair to say? Yeah, probably. But I don't really feel like I know anything about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, like, same. I don't, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like she is as strong a foil for Wonder Woman as, like, Lex Luthor is for Superman or, you know, as intrinsically tied as, like, someone like the Joker is for Batman or whatever. And I just don't feel like she has that level of relationship with any of her villains. Um, and I, I wonder if it's because there is the reliance on the, the pantheon of gods and that those characters come with their own baggage. And I, I don't I don't know, you know, because, like, I've read, like you said, Hera's a villain in Greg Rucka's run, I read a, a, a Wonder Woman book from the 80s, you know, during the, the post-crisis run where Zeus tries to rape Wonder Woman and Hera saves her, you know? So, like, I, I, you know, like, maybe it's partly that these characters are kind of inconsistently written because of the way that Wonder Woman's relationship to them has changed, you know, as well. Um, I don't really know. I don't really, like, I can't quite put my finger on it, but she's the only member of the Justice League aside from the Martian Manhunter. Who, who I can or I can, and cyborg who I can think of who I I 
don't really have a clear idea. This person is their arch nemesis, and this is why. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fair point. Well, uh, if you go ahead, Phil. So, Cheetah's more of just like as a character, she's kind of the opposite of Wonder Woman. Like Wonder Woman has the lasso of truth, and uh, Minerva's whole deal is that she's a liar. She's a she's a she's a she's kleptomaniac. She steals all the time. Um, Wonder Woman is virtuous, whereas Cheetah will like eat human blood or or drink human blood or something. Um, she like represents like humanity at its worst, essentially. I don't know if she represents the strongest foil to Wonder Woman, but like the the blueprint for like why she's supposed to be the arch nemesis is there. So the other element uh, of of Cheetah that makes her sort of um. A, a relevant Wonder Woman enemy is is in her origin, <clears throat> that she's a human being who becomes a god, which is like I don't I don't want to say the opposite of of Wonder Woman's origin, but like I, I there's something there, right? That she's a human who becomes like a demigod, as opposed to Wonder Woman who is crafted by clay or or however you know whatever your your origin whatever your origin yeah. is. Um, or like in the modern interpretation of demigod trying to be a human, you know? Or, yeah, yeah. So it's, I guess it's kind of the opposite. And, and Phil, you know, accurately stated how she is very much an opposite of Wonder Woman. So I guess that just piles on. Uh, but in Greg Rucka's run, the, the first volume, um, she takes center stage. And it's all about how she is a she was a good woman who chose to try to interact with a god, Urs Cartaga. And he changes her into the cheetah. He chooses her to be the cheetah. And how that ruins her life. Because now she's a, she has to drink blood. She's addicted to it. Um, she's a cheetah now. A human cheetah. Um, and she blames Wonder Woman. Because they had this great relationship. Wonder Woman warned her not to do this. She did it anyway. And then Wonder Woman didn't come and save her when things went wrong. So I didn't know that they had a relationship uh, prior. Well, that's in Greg's run. I don't know if that was established prior to to that. It's established in like other in like other things, like in the in the cartoons and stuff, and like in some other comics. I just I don't know like the full context behind it, but I know that they have like a history and they they were friends at some point and all that. Well, well, there's like six right. different cheetahs in the comics over over like the last eighty years. That's true. I'm referring to Barbara and Minerva. Right. That's always I, but there's there's um, what's her name? Priscilla Rich, there's Deborah Domain, there's a bunch. Yeah. Um so I, I guess you're right, Pete, in that even though I personally like her rogues gallery based on the reading that we've done, I could definitely see how you would feel like because I have read some more Wonder Woman than you, I can definitely see how you would feel like it's not it's not well established and you don't really get anything to cling on to as far as those characters go and why they might not have that mainstream appeal that maybe yeah. Batman's villains do. Or like that resonance, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like even the Flash's villains resonate more. Yeah, like, I don't know, dude. Like even as a casual like fan of comics as a kid and stuff, like I knew who Gorilla Grodd was, you know? I know who Zoom is, you know? Uh, or, you know, and like maybe it is because some of them are like simple, like anti-flash is like legitimately like a mirror kind of, you know, so like I get that. But yeah, but like Grodd is not. Grodd is a super unique comic book villain and he always stood out to me, you know? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, and, like, I'm sure that some of Wonder Woman's villains were in the fucking Justice League show at some point, but I don't remember them. Well, Cheetah was. Yeah, and, like, I don't remember her being in the sh- You know, like, and I'm sure she was. I'm sure I knew that at the time, but for whatever reason... You know, yeah, I, like if you think about like the Legion of Doom, like one, none of one other than the Cheetah, none of Wonder Woman's villains come to mind. Yeah, I think she was the only one that was there. Well, Ares was in one episode as well. He was in the Hawk and Dove episode. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I I wonder too. I wonder if um, I wonder if the the dichotomy there about like her rogues gallery. I wonder if you could make an argument that because she is willing to kill you know the enemies that hit too close she doesn't really have like a, a stable rogues gallery oh that's a yeah, good point well, i think um, of the I mean, punisher yeah there's there's a comic that makes that point like there's a panel that uh, kill you sent me a, a thread a, a, a couple weeks ago when we were having a conversation about wonder woman as a character that was like a tumblr thread and there was a, a panel from it that was straight up like Wonder Woman with a very serious, intense look on her face. And she says, you want to know why I don't have as many villains as, you know, as you or Clark, you know, or, or maybe she says you or Bruce. And it's because I take care of them. Well, yeah. And also, I mean, to to sort of go off of that, she takes care of them or she makes them allies like the 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 Gorilla Grodd lackeys or whatever. Yeah, or to take it back to uh, even one of the earliest Wonder Woman stories that I don't I don't think it was in our selected reading, but I read it, um, which is I don't remember the name of the villain, but her very first villain uh, is someone that she um, she does turn into an ally and ends up becoming like uh, her kind of like you know nerdy tech scientist support kind of character. I I, I think this is an explanation of convenience for two reasons. One. A lot of the most famous Batman villains are from the Golden Age when Batman would kill uh, oftentimes. And then I think of like the Punisher, whose whole gimmick is he kills, but he still has villains like Jigsaw or Bullseye or something. I, 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 think, I think it's an explanation of convenience. That makes sense too. You know, I, I mean, I would also make that argument about the Punisher. Both Jigsaw and Bullseye have been killed and deformed and mutated on multiple occasions, and that's why they come back. Yeah, that that's true. I I think I think it would take a much more expansive uh reading of Wonder Woman to get uh, to to be able to know whether or not she actually does just go around killing her villains. Um I personally don't Yo, know. We're probably not the panel for that. <laughs> yeah, I personally don't know that to be the case, but um I honestly just think it's a case of her her gallery just not being sticky, you know? Um, for some of the same reasons why Wonder Woman herself is not sticky, because the, the 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 things that that root us to these characters weren't necessarily there for her until maybe maybe more recently than anyone cares to admit. I think that in the two thousands, a lot of great writers have graced that character, and they've done things to establish uh, her, her ideology, uh, her origin her heroes or her allies and her enemies in ways that now, especially now that we got a movie, now we can really sort of say like, okay, this is why this, this is, you know, this is why this person's her enemy. And that can, now we can have more stickiness. 
You know what I just had a thought of too? I wonder if, and this is this is speculative, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, do you guys think that this has anything to do with the way that Wonder Woman as a character was kind of derailed by the, um, uh, Martha? I forget the name of the author, but the, that whole seduction. Oh, the seduction of the innocent guy? Yeah, the seduction of the innocent um, book. And that whole... Uh, the way that that affected comics as a whole, but I feel like it it affected Wonder Woman in a very serious way because, granted, um, you know, I think in going back and reading some of the original Wonder Woman stories, uh, there's plenty of stuff that's sexist in it, you know, that's, you know, uh, I guess, like, unintentionally benign sexism, and I put that in quotes because it deserves them. Um, But, you know... I feel like she took such a hard turn post the seduction of the innocent stuff because of the desire to get away from the lesbianism shit and all these things that people that were being projected on the character in the book. And we saw so many stories about her being in love with Steve Trevor and wanting to get married and going shopping and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And I, I, that doesn't lead to you establishing good villains. Well, the, the narrative I've heard for Wonder Woman is that after Marston left the book, it lost its very risque, uh, uh, you know, menage a trois kind of thing going on. I, I don't know if it was so much Frederick Wortham with Wonder Woman. So much because I, I think those books were taking that turn in, during the war for her. Well, either way, do you think there's any validity to that point, to that idea that she spent so much of her time doing fairly non super heroic things and doing these very kind of Probably. sexist things um, instead of fleshing out new characters while Batman and Superman's rogues galleries were being built up? She was fucking shopping and getting carried over Probably. rivers by Steve Trevor. Yeah, I think that there's probably some validity to that. Um, I also can't think of... This is literally just something I thought of right now, so who knows if this is valid, but I can't think of any uh, female superhero who I know their villains well at all. Uh, So, I don't know know if that speaks to this, but I, I can't think of anyone. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of drawing a blank here. What about uh, Hellfire Club for Jean Grey? Nope, that's an X. That's for the X Men. That's fair. But she's yeah. an X Man. Yeah, but I, she doesn't have like personal villains. Like I wouldn't say yeah. Darkseid is a Wonder Woman villain. That's a Justice mm. League villain, you know. Or 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 Superman, or super, or Superman villain, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, totally. I I don't. I I can't think of a of a female superhero that has that kind of like vendetta against somebody you know where there's like this character that is specifically out to fucking get their and i'm sure they exist but the fact that we can't think of any of them is telling you know looking at my wall right here like i i'm just looking at it and i was like whoa i have wonder woman and then that's the only female superhero that i have on like my bookshelf you sexist piece of shit yeah man (laughs) let me let me let me have it internet no, dude, like, on a real level, like, when, as soon as Sean said that, I started thinking, I was like, how many female-led superhero books have I even read? And, like, there's not that many of them. That's the thing. It's like, yeah, we could sit here and name female superheroes until we're blue in the face, but how many of them are supporting characters in someone else's yeah. book? I, I've made a, a – I've made it my, my job, quote-unquote, uh, for lack of a better term, to, to read more 
uh, female-led superhero books and female-led books in general just because I really like them. Like I, I've said many times, I'm a huge Buffy fan, and so I read that book, uh, Batwoman. Um, I mean, I read a decent amount of books that star women. They're just not superheroes. Right. Um, so, you know, we could go on and on, but I guess the point that is being made right now is that unfortunately uh, there isn't – there's not a lot of effort put into – um, some of these characters and making their books stand out the way that you know the male superhero books do, and maybe that has to do with there not being an audience, or maybe there's no audience because the effort's not being put in. Chicken or the egg, right? Um, but I think I think at the end of the day, and this can kind of sum up the conversation here on Wonder Woman. Uh, this movie has the potential to impact uh, not only the character, but Female superheroes in general. Uh, now we're getting a Batgirl film that people are excited about, and we were going to get it regardless. But now that now there's more excitement because DC has shown that they can do right by a, a, a female uh, superhero, and so that's great. And this is going to lead hopefully to more sales for the Wonder Woman book, which can trickle down into Batwoman or Black Widow or Jean Grey or any of these other characters. And the hope for me is that our enthusiasm for these characters will live beyond this podcast episode. And the fever that has surrounded oh Wonder Woman, um, whatever, the, the, the fervor that has surrounded Wonder Woman because of this film. I hope that there is a real push, not because we want to do our due diligence, but because we actually give a damn. You know, because we're willing to try to read different kinds of books that star different kinds of heroes. You know, because Wonder Woman is not different from Superman fundamentally just because she's a woman. She's different because she's a different character, but she's a hero at the end of the day. And her hero story is just as important and just as relevant as Superman's or Batman's or whoever else's. And if you care about heroes in general, you should care about Wonder Woman. And you should give her book a chance. And you should try these other books. And so I really hope that people are willing to take that opportunity, this opportunity to try these books, give these characters a chance, and hopefully this movie being a hit, 10 years down the road, we won't care or think about the next time a superhero movie comes out with a woman director or a, or a female at the lead. It won't be special. It'll just be what it is. It'll be the norm. Nicely put. Thank you. Uh, so that's going to do it for this episode of the Comics Pals. Um, we will see you next week. But before we go, we're going to do some plugs. Uh, first of all, you can, if you like this episode, if you enjoyed us doing a uh, special series on Wonder Woman, definitely do let us know. You can write to us on iTunes, where we are a five-star rated podcast. You can let us know your thoughts about this series. If you want us to do more specials about superheroes, uh, let us know because that's something that we all are invested in doing. Uh, so let us know if you like it and if you like the direction, if you want to see something different, if you want to see something different from us on that front. Um, you can also hit us up on social media. We are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. And you can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. If you write to us there, we will absolutely read your stuff on the air. If you write to us anywhere, we'll, we'll read it on the air. Um, next week, we're going to, we're going to have some, some comments that we want to, hit on uh from you guys um and uh yeah last but not least youtube 
Hit us up on YouTube, like the video, share it with your friends, leave us a comment, subscribe to the channel, that stuff's super important. I do want to shout out that we have some E3 coverage coming really, really soon as part of the Video Game Pal, so check that stuff out. That's going to be really, really good content, and if you are a fan of video games, this is the time, right, because it's E3, this is the time to get excited, and you can join us in our excitement as we cover that event. Um, so with that, let's do some plugs. Pete. Cool. Uh, yeah, so thanks again for joining us on this episode of The Comics Pals. If you guys want to get some more content from me, as Sean already said, you can check out uh, me and him over on the Video Game Pals, which posts tomorrow on audio platforms and the next day on YouTube. So keep an eye out for that. We'll be doing our E3 coverage probably the day after that. Uh, and then if you want to check out my writing, you can go to CBR.com. And uh, I just published an article um Past week about 15 times Wonder Woman killed. I'm doing another one for them this week about um, my thoughts on Wonder Woman. So if you want to hear my review, you already saw, you already listened to it here. But if you want to see me uh, give it kind of like an itemized thing and help me pay the bills, I would appreciate you checking that one out as well. Uh, And then if you want to connect with me on social media, you can get me at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram and talk to me about how much you like Wonder Woman. Cool. Kale. Uh, you can find my stuff on uh, Comixology uh, under Panels Publishing. You'll find my uh, eight-page comic from the Deep Number One for one ninety-nine. Uh, we're also we're also selling it on um, Selfie.com/slash/PanelsPublishing uh, is uh, Panels' uh, website. You'll find uh, us on Facebook and Twitter under uh, Panels Comics, and Twitter it's Panels Comics with an X. You can find me on. Uh, Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. Nice, uh, Phil. Go ahead. Um, I just wanted to promote my uh, my two, my new show, Two Broke Girls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> are the are the two broke girls your nipples? Like I don't. We could put. I don't even see that. I don't even see the connection there. Between my nipples or between the broke girls? All A right. little bit of both. So be on the lookout for that. Um, and then, uh, oh, uh, look out for my interview with Rob Liefeld that came out this week with the pals. It was great. Um, and then, uh, have one with Keith Giffen coming out sometime next week, I suppose. Right, Pete? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, again, if you haven't checked out those, please go check out the rest of them. We talked to Dirk Manning, Rob Liefeld. Uh, we've got a couple of ones already up this week. We'll have the rest of them probably up by next week. Uh, we don't have too many more to put out there. So if you haven't checked them out, definitely please go. We had a great time. Got some great interviews. And then uh, just follow me at uh, um, at Donald Trump on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> it's it's at real Donald oh, Trump. Phil Jesus. What is your real social? Uh, media? Follow me at Cyborg Bebop. Thank you, Marco. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Woe Is Marco and on Twitter at Woe Is Marco underscore. And I just want to give a shout out to friend of the show Jordan Gibson because he's a cool dude, and uh, we got a chance to talk to him you can check out that interview too and a shout out to dan doherty for my swamp thing print we had a little bit of a back and forth there but thank you sir uh <laughs> greatly appreciated and that interview should be coming out uh, next respectful. week as well yes yes and as for me i am at sean soapbox on twitter twitter is the only social media platform i feel comfortable being on right now uh so check me out on there uh, let's talk. If by that you mean I twisted your fucking arm for six weeks until you got on Twitter. That's right. That's what it takes. Uh, I am set in my ways. Um, you can hit me up to talk about Wonder Woman or 
something else, whatever you want. I'll talk about anything, so hit me up. And with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. Bye. See you next week.